Hi, everybody. We are taking a summer break to recharge after the White Album. So what we have for you today is an episode from our Patreon feed. Over at patreon.com slash discord pod, we do about one extra episode every month for our subscribers. We've talked about several albums over there that aren't on the main feed, including Tim by The Replacements, Stranger in the Alps by Phoebe Bridgers, One Hot Minute by Red Hot Chili Peppers, and many more. The other thing we like to do over there is pick a bunch of songs that fit a particular category, such as Beatles covers, great Mellotron tracks, and weird songs about the internet, to name a few. Most recently, Mike and I made a bonus episode about how Paul McCartney is dead and all the clues that the Beatles sprinkled throughout their albums to tell their fans the truth. There's also plenty of Moody Blues content because we are still Discord and Rhyme. The one we picked to share today is the time we talked about our favorite Disney songs, so there's lots of nostalgia here. If you like this episode and you want to hear more, we currently have over 30 of these at patreon.com slash discord pod. Plus, you'll get some other fun perks like a Discord and Rhyme sticker and a look at our production notes for each main episode. We hope you enjoy this sneak peek and we'll be back with a regular episode in two weeks. So in the meantime, please continue keeping as cool as you can. I'm so much happier now. I'm getting the strangest urge to dance like a hamster. I don't know why. I'll get over it. That's weird. (laughs) Okay, so welcome, patrons, to another super special bonus episode of Discord and Rhyme. I'm Rich Bunnell. I'm John McFerrin. And I'm Amanda Rogers. So we have a really fun idea. Well, (laughs) I guess we usually try to have fun ideas for these. So, uh, Amanda, what what are we doing this time around? We're talking about Disney songs. Disney songs. (laughs) Oh, did I not tell you what the theme was tonight? Whose idea was this? Was this yours? Was this John's? It was ours jointly. It started with our mutual obsession over one particular movie. Yeah, so today we are going to be going through, like, each of us has picked four songs from the oeuvre of Disney, whether or not the animated features, their feature films, or, like, their animated shorts. I don't know. As long as it's a song and it's Disney, it's fair game. Uh, So before we start, though, I I guess, like, we all have personal histories with Disney, and I, I suspect that they're all, like, we were young kids once and watched these movies obsessively. But nonetheless, uh, I'll, I'll, let's go through... Let's go through person by person. What about you, Amanda? What's your history with Disney? I was a little kid in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my history with Disney. Uh, some of the older ones I didn't see as much because, I mean, as you guys remember, Disney was really stingy with the VHS releases oh, for yes. a long time. And like they would release a movie for a week and you had to get it. It was now or never. Uh, but we had a few on cassette that I watched over and over. And one of the cassettes we had was a Disney sing-along songs tape, which I've since learned there were several of, um, but we only had the one. And there were a I, whole bunch. Yeah, I, I just had the one. And it was a case where my brother and I watched it so much that it got the little horizontal lines across the screen that VHS tapes used to get <laughs> when you wore them out. <laughs> Like the sound was a little bit mangled, but that was the first place I heard a lot of those songs. And I have extremely fond memories of it. What about you, John? You know, it's funny. I don't remember explicitly watching Disney a lot as a kid, but I'm quite sure I did. I'm quite sure that I saw most of the the big movies, um, you know, at least once or twice. Except for a small handful, which I probably watched 20 or more times. 
and uh, mm-hmm. and and some of the and some of the ones that really stuck with me through the years are ones from those those twenty or so times, and some of them are actually ones that you know I, I only watched once or twice, you know, got filed into the back of my brain, and then when I got older and got drawn into watching some of them again, whether because of my kids or because of my wife, it's like oh that one, yeah, I I always really like this one. Oh hey, and 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 the music in these is really good too. So yeah, like uh, mm-hmm. not not a lot of explicit memories necessarily, but a, a lot of uh, little bubbles of thought that get popped when I yeah. encounter some of these things. It's like, oh yeah, I remember yeah. loving this. And I I just remembered my first memory of seeing a movie in the theater was when I was I think three or four, and my mom took me to see The Black Cauldron. Because that was the latest oh, wow. Disney movie, and it scared the living hell out of me, and I had to be carried out screaming. Oh, no. I think my earliest theater memory was a re-release of Pinocchio. And again, I don't remember much oh. except being like, oh, this is fun and or I'm terrified. I also saw Snow White in the theater on a re-release. That's one of my early memories, too. Apparently, technically, my, th- my first theater experience was seeing Ghostbusters when I was one my parents just took me to a drive-thru and I cried <gasps> through the entire thing, but that was their fault. I was carried <laughs> screaming out of Ghostbusters, too. <laughs> <laughs> wow, cosmically linked. Yes. That ghost in the library still scares me to death. I can't watch it. <laughs> okay, so as for me and Disney, so when I was around kindergarten age, I remember that my aunt would babysit me while my parents were at work and I wasn't uh, at school. And uh, she had like VHS copies of Robin Hood and Alice in Wonderland taped off of TV. And the Alice in Wonderland mm-hmm. that she had was edited down to TV length. And I, re- I remember that it didn't have like the part where Alice like drank the drink me potion and grew as big as a house and stuck out of the house. Oh, that part's so fun. And it also had the walrus and the carpenter story, but it left out the Tweedledee and Tweedledum framing device. And I'm not sure how that worked, but I was a kid and I didn't notice or care. You know, things didn't have to make sense. And it's Alice in Wonderland. It's just a bunch of stuff that happens. Uh, Otherwise, it was tough to watch Disney movies because like, uh, like Amanda said, they were in the Disney vault, Uh, like uh, and stuff that was in the vault hadn't even been released to home video yet. So you couldn't get them from rental stores. So I got most of my Disney fix through uh, the aforementioned Disney sing-along song series, which I had a bunch of copies of the different tapes, and I watched those obsessively. And yeah, I I remember seeing like the bare necessities from the Jungle Book and wanting to watch the Jungle Book. But like my dad went to the video store and then uh, it it wasn't there. He rented another movie called The Jungle Book, and it wasn't the one that I wanted. It was some live action piece of crap. (laughs) So for that reason, most of my choices for this episode aren't going to come from like movies that big Disney nerds really rate very highly because I I originally saw a lot of these songs completely out of context. But, you know, that's kind of how Disney works. Like they have an interesting history and a lot of classic movies. But, you know, nostalgia is a big factor. And the ones that hit you the hardest were the ones that you saw when you were really little. Mm hmm. So I think our first two songs for this episode are going to be from the same movie, which was like kind of the uh, uh, inspiration for this episode. So mm-hmm. Amanda, why don't you start? The first song is from Robin Hood. It's first that well, the second thing you hear in the movie. This is Oda Lolly. Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest, laughing back and forth at what the other has to say. Reminiscing this and that and having such a good time Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day Never ever thinking there was danger in the water They were drinking, they just guzzled it down Never dreaming that a scheming sheriff and his posse Was watching them and gathering around 
Robin Hood and Little John running through the forest, jumping fences, dodging trees, and trying to get away. Contemplating nothing but escaping, finally making it. Oodle-lolly, oodle-lolly, golly, what a day. Oodle-lolly, oodle-lolly, golly, what a day. Oh, that makes me so happy. I can't even tell you. <laughs> I adore Robin Hood. It's tied with Sleeping Beauty is my favorite animated Disney movie. And the music in it is just absolutely top drawer. And I love it to bits. Um, Whistle Stop that we heard at the beginning of this has been my ringtone for many, many, many years. And as we mentioned, this is the movie that started us off on this whole idea. It first came up. Uh, about three months ago, uh, I was sick. It's the it was the second time I had COVID, and the the funny thing is that when my sinuses get inflamed, I sound an awful lot like Roger Miller. So I mentioned that in Slack, and our friend Will said, "Well, in that case, you should be watching Robin Hood with the Roger Miller songs." And I said, "What a capital idea!" And John said, "Hey, those songs are awesome. We should talk about them." And then it yes. expanded into a whole Disney episode. <laughs> This is the result of my having COVID for the second time. I hope you all are happy. Oh, I'm so happy. (laughs) (laughs) And aside from getting to talk about Robin Hood, I am delighted that we found a reason to talk about Roger Miller because I like him so much, but I can't quite see a Roger Miller episode happening on the podcast. Uh, He was a songwriter in Nashville in the 50s, and then he started his own recording career in the mid-60s. He's best known for King of the Road, which is a fantastic song. But if you look just a little bit deeper, you're going to find gems like You Can't Roller Skate in a Buffalo Herd, Dang Me, Chug-a-Lug, Do-Wack-a-Doo, and my personal favorite, My Uncle Used to Love Me But She Died. My uncle used to love me but she died A chicken ain't chicken till it's licking good fried Keep on the sunny side My uncle used to love me but she died That man was an absolute genius at writing tracks that walk right up to the line of being outright novelty songs. But then he'd turn right around and write perfectly normal country bops like You Don't Want My Love or just go right ahead and break your heart with husbands and wives or one dying and a burying. He died in 1992 and the world got a lot less silly and fun when he left. I love Roger Miller. And... I don't know how it came about that Disney called him up to write some songs for Robin Hood in 1973, as well as voice the narrator, but boy, do I love that it happened. I think this was the first time Disney hired a mainstream pop musician to write their songs. And I also, I think that didn't happen again until The Great Mouse Detective, which has a song by Melissa Manchester. And... I I just enjoy so much the contrast between the very traditional, very British story featuring a very modern, very Nashville songwriter and narrator. Uh, this, yeah. this particular song is such a great way to open the movie. It is it's fun, it's descriptive, and it sets the scene just perfectly. Plus, it's just catchy as all hell and gets stuck in my head on the regular. And Roger Miller's a rooster, right? In the in the movie, he's the narrator. Yeah. 
Yep. <laughs> yeah. Also, also when I hear the name Roger Miller, my first association is the guy from Mission of Burma, which would make for a very different Robin Hood if he wrote the songs for it. Yes. I don't know that at all. They're a very loud <laughs> post-punk band. Anyway, uh, as for oh. Roger Miller, who wrote the songs for Robin Hood, uh, well, what I like about them, especially this song in Whistle Stop, is that they just feel like a guy like sitting down and playing a song for us. Like, you know, there's action mm-hmm. taking place on screen, but it's not like intricately synchronized with the music in that you know later under the sea sort of way when disney started to do more yeah. like broadway style musicals this just feels like a story that happens to have songs in it and there's something so like appealingly scrappy about that mm-hmm. but john you also love robin hood right oh yes I, yeah 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 i do um you know this is one of the ones that i watched probably 20 times more than any other i think i wore this one and yeah. fantasia out a, a lot and, you know, again, I would watch others from time mm-hmm. to time. But, you know, as someone who fixated on his favorites, um, this this was one of the favorites. Well, I could tell from the Pink Floyd episode that you love Fantasia, yes. John. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> even even before the the additional soundtrack. You know, now that I'm older, do you know what this song reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of something from McCartney. Oh, yeah. Like Paul yeah, McCartney's first yeah, album. Yeah, I can like, hear it, that. It, even that title. Exactly. Like just kind of the uh, – yeah. The, the casual thrown off acoustic genius. Just you know, just sitting back, I'm going to scoot out this this perfect scene setter of a lazy song that's catchy as hell, like does everything you would want it to and it Gets you in and out in about a minute. Yeah, that was the whole song that we heard just now because it's a minute long. So we played the whole thing. Okay, so John, you also have a song from Robin Hood to share with us. What is it? Yes, I very much do. This is Love. Love, it seems like only yesterday You were just a child at play You're all grown up inside of me Oh, how fast those moments flee Once we watched a lazy world go by Now the days seem to fly Life is brief, but when it's gone Love goes on and on All right, so Love uh, was written by Floyd Huddleston and George Bruns, and it was sung by Nancy Adams, who did the voice of Maid Marian, and it was nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, It did not win. It lost to The Way We Were. I like this more. Me too. <laughs> so I was thinking about this um, in, in, in figuring out what I want to say about this. And, you know, a thing that occurred to me is I think this is the first song that I loved. At least it's the oh, yeah? first song. It's the first. It's the earliest that I remember loving a song. And, you know, to, to give that some context, like, you know, again, I talked about this. Like, I didn't get into rock and pop music until much later. And, you know, honestly, mm-hmm. I didn't really have that much. I mean, I heard music. But I didn't have much music that I had strong feelings about. But I always remembered really liking the music in this movie. And and I was always struck 
you know, in the, with the structure of this film, because on one side you have, you know, this, the, the, this joyful, colorful romp, um, you know, very exuberant, uh, very silly in spots. On the other hand, you have this uh, much darker hued uh, film, you know, with these implicit reminders that we're all going to die someday and that there's danger lurking around <laughs> every corner. And then in the middle, you have just this really colorful oasis. Just this this really really peaceful uh, vignette. It's not even that long. It's probably like three minutes or so. And I remember like this song like just lived in my head all the time as a kid. And when I got older and I I didn't watch this movie much. Uh, you know, there was like a fifteen year stretch where I don't think I watched this movie because like oh I'm too old for Disney movies. But like this song would would echo around in my head. And when I revisited it when I got around to revisiting this movie again uh, in my twenties, you know, I, I loved it right away. And I was struck by the fact that, you know, you know, all these years later and with all this extra wisdom about uh, pop music, I still loved this song. Like, I really love that guitar line. It's, it's very, very subtle, but it's really, it's really, really joyful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like this is, this isn't a sappy ballad. This is a, this is a very, very happy hippie ballad. And, you know, like, Stuff from the late sixties and early seventies, you know, you know, turned out to kind of be like my sweet spot of loving music. I just didn't know it at the time. So yeah, in a weird way, like this song really plays a critical role in making me into the music lover that I eventually became. I love that. Do you love love, Amanda? I do. It's so sweet. And this is a great part of the movie too. It's right after the whole archery contest fiasco where Robin Hood almost gets caught and then they escape from the sheriff and his minions and Robin Hood and Marion have a romantic evening in the forest and 11 year olds worldwide fell in love with cartoon Fox. Robin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was a sexual awakening movie for a lot of people is my understanding. I mean, I fell in love with May uh-huh. Marion, but yes, the same principle holds. Yep. 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 <laughs> yeah. I like when the snake gets drunk. I, I like the snake in general voiced by Terry Thomas. Oh, the snake is so great. Oh, he's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that you mentioned the guitar in the song, John, because I noticed just recently that the bass line in this song is kind of nuts. Great. It's it doesn't quite match up. It's it's very McCartney-esque. It's like John like Lodge's the bass player over the is top just, bass line and nice to be here. Yes. Yes, exactly. Like that bass player is in an entirely different band playing something <laughs> playing a totally different song. But it's it really gives the song a a little bit of extra edge, a little bit more momentum that stops it from just being totally cheesy and sappy. Like it's still plenty cheesy and sappy, but in a good way. Yeah. So I mentioned that I watched Robin Hood a lot at my aunt's place when I was four or five years old, but I I haven't, I hadn't seen it since then. I I just threw it on for like the first time in more than uh, 30 years. I, I actually got it from this place called a video store. There's one of those in New Haven. It's great. But it's this antiquated institution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They have a coffee bar, though, which is why I go. They get me with, uh, you know, my just horrible addiction. So, yeah, <laughs> for, for the most part, I will say that I 
don't really have the same nostalgia for it that you two have. It just never really had the opportunity to grow into like a favorite of mine on the level of some of the other ones we're going to be discussing. But I, I will say that watching it was kind of surreal. Like there were like little moments and phrases that had been sitting in my subconscious for more than three decades without my brain like mm-hmm. accessing it at all. Uh, the one I'm particularly thinking of is Little John shouting fortunes forecast, lucky charms, lucky like, charms. Yeah, like that was <laughs> that, that that wave file was in my head waiting to be played again. It just hadn't been accessed for like 35 years or something, but I, I don't really have much to say about love the song itself. It's, it's, it's nice, but I, I, I think that like, I just hadn't, you know, just in general, I have, I just didn't have the opportunity for Robin Hood to become like one of my favorites on the level that it is for you too. But I have enjoyed hearing you both gush over it. I just watched it again yesterday for probably the 50th time and loved every minute of it as I always do. <laughs> I, I will say that the finale is completely asinine. Like it makes no difference whether Robin Hood rescues the townspeople and gets their money back. They're prisoners of the state. It's the system that's the problem. They're going to yes, get arrested well. again. I think you're overthinking I'm maybe, this. Maybe I'm overthinking this children's movie, but what I'm saying is overthrow feudalism. Well, the sheriff got sent to hard labor breaking rocks. That's true. So there's, there's nobody to arrest them because King Richard came back and now he has an outlaw for an in-law. Yeah, he's a total deus ex machina. God, I, I'm so much yeah. smarter than this kid's movie is what I'm saying. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> okay, I'm going to get to my <laughs> first choice. So my first pick is also from a movie from the 70s. This is Everybody Wants to Be a Cat from the Aristocats. Everybody wants to be a cat Because a cat's the only cat Who knows where it's at Tell me everybody's picking up on that feline beat It's Little John. Yeah, is Phil Harris. Yeah. A square with a horn makes you wish you weren't born Every time he plays But with a square in the act You can set music back Do the game and days I've heard some carny birds who tried to sing Still a cat's the only cat who knows how to swing Who wants to dick long head kick stuff like that Everybody wants to be a cat A square with a horn Makes you wish you weren't born Every time he plays Oh, a rinky-tinky-tinky With a square in the act You can set music back To the caveman days Oh, a rinky-tinky-tinky <laughs> Uh, the song gives me such warm nostalgia for a time when my cat was a sweet, affectionate presence in my life and not an ongoing test of my capacity for unconditional love. But that's a different story. <laughs> no, my cat's been very sweet to me today, actually, but that'll probably change very fast. So the Aristocats. This movie came out in 1970, and it was the first movie that Disney produced after Walt Disney's death. It's one of the more forgotten Disney movies, and Disney buffs don't rate it very highly, but I was really into it as a kid because it had a theatrical re-release in 1987, and I was surrounded by cats growing up. Like, we just had a rotating selection of cats, and it was, uh, and so I identified with it. So the movie's plot is broadly very similar to 101 Dalmatians, except with cats instead of dogs. So a wealthy retired diva living in Paris in 1910 decides to leave her fortune to her cat Duchess and her three kittens and her loyal butler Edgar furious at this frankly ridiculous move. He kidnaps the cats and he abandons them to die in the countryside. What a sweet guy. So the cats meet up with a ginger cat named O'Malley, voiced by Phil Harris, who also voiced Baloo in The Jungle Book and Little John in Robin Hood, who are basically the same character. Yeah. 
So everybody wants to be a cat shows up in the middle of all this madness when the cats meet up with a gang of jazz playing alley cats led by Scat Cat, voiced by Scatman Crothers. The lead vocals on the song trade off between Crothers, Phil Harris, and a Russian cat voiced by Thurl Ravenscroft, who you might know as the singer of You're a Mean Ooh. One, Mr. Grinch. And he's also the longtime Thought voice of was. Tony the Tiger. Tony the Tiger, yeah. Yeah. And he has like one of the greatest actual real person names ever to exist. Thurl Ravenscroft. What a great name. Really does. So I think this song is just delightful, but it comes with two caveats. So the first is that it's not really on point in terms of music history. So remember, this is 1910, back when jazz was still in its ragtime phase in America. So you have to suspend your disbelief a little that these cats are basically inventing cool jazz four decades early and in France. (laughs) But again, this is a movie about anthropomorphic talking cats, so I guess I can forgive it. The second is that there's a really racist part later on in the song. I'm not going to clip it, but it's basically like they decided to drop that Siamese cat song from Lady and the Tramp into the bridge. It's horrible. And the official Disney soundtrack release on Spotify edits out this part, but if you really want to see it, it's on YouTube. Even by Disney standards, it is bananas so amanda what do you think of this song what a, have you seen the aristocats yeah i have uh it's not one of the ones that i remember from childhood uh but i saw it uh when my daughter was little and she wanted to we were looking through disney movies she wanted to see the one with the kitties and it's it's a really cute little movie i mean it's not i, w- I wouldn't call it one of my absolute favorites but i enjoyed it a lot and this is a great song it's it's a fun sequence in the movie. It's a it's a catchy, charming little jazz number. And I enjoy Phil Harris's singing so much. All three of them are great. They, I love the way they trade off. Yeah, it, it all of it, it. It's just really, really well done. And we're just going to pretend that Siamese cat doesn't exist. <laughs> well, you, you saw like a YouTube comment under that scene that was like, I love how this song is a is a coming together of people from different cultures. <laughs> Disney was so inclusive. It, it, unites all these diverse cultures with their mutual love of music. And it was just, it was so beautifully clueless. Uh, John, what about you? So I've never seen the movie. Um, kind of feel like I should. So I, I had never heard this. So I thought it was a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I like it when um, Disney does songs in unexpected genres or uh, off of like kind of the template of what you kind of have in mind as what a generic uh, Disney songs. I I had honestly had no idea that this song existed or one like it existed. Um, just this, this again, like this this really fun throwback jazz pastiche um, that you know really hits a lot of the little details that would give it a, a an air of authenticity. Even though again, it's it's anachronistic and sung by cats. Um, so yeah, it's <laughs> I I thought it was really enjoyable. Uh, I have not heard the version with this other bit, and I'm I'm morbidly curious. I will check it out once we're done here. <laughs> You have been warned. Okay, so Amanda, what is your second choice? For my second choice, we are going to zip back in time to the very beginning. We're going to 1937 and we're going to listen to Hi Ho. It ain't no trick to get rich quick. If you need dig, dig with a shovel or a pick. In a mine, in a mine, in a mine, in a mine, where a million diamonds shine. I'm going to say a weird thing that I fully believe. Hi-ho is underrated. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> the it's home from work we go part just lived in the collect lives in the collective unconscious now, but I picked the song because when you actually pay attention and listen to the whole song, it's excellent. As you just heard, there's a whole song attached to that chorus that we all know, and it's a delightful song. There's two verses, and then here's the part we all remember. Hi-ho! funny thing about hi-ho i mean everybody thinks they know the whole thing but that bit we all remember is just one little tiny part because i mean these there's even more going on in the chorus than you might recall off the top of your head like the whistled melody uh after they go through the hi-ho refrain a couple of times it's absolutely delightful and the whistling is something that disney would return to quite a lot and i'm i'm just a big fan of that old-fashioned choral singing and I love the voices of the dwarves, especially Doc at the very beginning. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't watched Snow White in a while, I highly recommend doing that, or at least go watch the clip of this song on YouTube, because it's one of my favorite visual sequences in all the Disney movies. It is beautiful. It starts with all the sparkly gems in the cave. And then when they're marching home, there's a shot where you see all their shadows on the cliff face before the dwarves themselves come around the bend. And then they walk past the waterfall with that gorgeous orange sunset behind them. It's just spectacular. And Snow White was the very first feature-length animated movie. And what's crazy is that, you know, a lot of times the very first example of a particular art form doesn't stay all that memorable. It's, It's rare that the first one of any genre remains one of the best ones. But Snow White did. It still looks incredible 85 years later. And this particular song, I like all of the songs in Snow White, but this is my favorite one. It's one of my favorite Disney songs. It's it's well worth paying attention to and appreciating for the the whole of it rather than just the home from work we go part. Yeah, as soon as I loaded up this song, I realized why you picked it. Because like you said, there, there's like a whole minute of song that nobody ever talks about before the famous part yeah. shows up. It's almost kind of proggy in a way. In fact, you know, just to keep on brand, I'm going to say that Hi-Ho is prog. (laughs) It's a prog song. (laughs) Sure. Why not? In 1937. (laughs) Disney invented prog. I guess so. And in that first part, I like that like subtle bit of existentialism with the line, a thousand rubies sometimes more, but we don't know what we dig them for. Just dig, 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 dig. Yeah, they dig for precious gems because they're dwarves in a mine. And that's what you do when you're a dwarf in a mine. So why question it? It's uh, (laughs) Well, and then they're very careful to throw all the sacks of gems into the vault and Dopey carefully locks the door to the vault and then he hangs the key on a peg next to the door. <laughs> uh, I got to watch that again. I haven't seen it in so long. I, I cannot, I honestly can't tell you the last time I watched it, but I remember it being really good. It is. It's wonderful. John, what do you say about Hi-Ho? 
I mean, it's great. I, I I am also really glad that you picked this one because yeah, I haven't I haven't seen this this one probably in over thirty five years, and mm-hmm. yet, but again, like I have you know all these memories of you know the most iconic bits, and that first minute of this was not among them, and so like going back and see this, you know what it ended up kind of making me think about in terms of stuff that I had experienced much more recently is. Like it's like a G-rated version of from Das Rheingold when we meet the dwarves, like having to, <laughs> to dig in there as like much cheerier yes. and like musically it's not really similar or anything, but like but just the music combined with the imagery like of of, of these dwarves in, in the mines just like hard at work. Like I almost like wonder if you know like you know let's let's make a kid friendly version of this if that was like percolating in the back of the minds of the people who were putting this together that's very possible i'm going to need that unpacked so that's the ring cycle yes that's that's yeah. sorry dust Rheingold is part 1 of the ring cycle okay um and and you know at one point like somebody has you know gained the ring and they're and they've used it to uh the power of it to make dwarves uh work for them and mhm you know, and and again, like you know, Snow White is not dark in the same way as Das Rheingold is, but it, but it, but it does. But in terms of like the the melding of music and and visuals, it it kind of scratched an itch in my mind that that reminded me of that a little bit. Well, you you definitely, I highly recommend watching Snow White again because it is dark as hell. I bet. A lot more so than you might remember. I actually just recently learned that two of the visual references for the movie, for the for the animators, were Nosferatu and the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I'm not shocked. And I thought, wow, I believe that. And actually, as you guys know, my family and I just watched all four operas in the ring cycle. It's yeah. a, a DVD <laughs> release by the Met Opera. And when it got to that, when they showed that part with the dwarves, you know, working away down in the mines, I started singing. We dig, 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 <laughs> dig, dig, dig. <laughs> I'm, sure that I, yeah. I'm sure that the same thing will happen to me if I watch that. <laughs> you should. <laughs> I still haven't seen it because I'm an uncultured swine to quote another Disney movie. Or I guess it's a yes. Disney movie now. You uncultured swine. Oh, and also when we announced this episode, two separate people, including producer Mike, asked if we were going to talk about the cover by Tom Waits. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Amanda, oh. but here it is. monster were a serial killer (laughs) well tom waits has always been the answer to that yeah yeah that comes from his triple disc set orphans brawlers ballers and bastards in case you want three whole discs of tom waits amanda oh my god the bastards disc is amazing the other two are fine i actually have never heard that before it's just it's it's just so much yeah sometimes tom waits really borders on being a novelty artist for me like he's clearly (laughs) leaning into his persona with that one (laughs) on the other hand it's very self-aware that cover is nightmarish. It's it's literally sickening to listen to. I you know what? I respect it. And I appreciate very much 
that it was done and I don't ever want to hear it again. Anyway, uh, let's move on. We need a palate cleanser. John, what is your second choice? Uh, my second one is Someone's Waiting for You from The Rescuers from That'll 1977. Do. That'll do it. Tom Waits has not covered this one as far as I'm aware. Someone's waiting for you. <laughs> Be brave, little one. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> for this episode made me directly confront something about myself and that is that I have a strong soft spot for very sappy ballads apparently. I'm glad you finally admitted that because we've known it for years. I know. I, I've known it on a certain <laughs> level but th this makes it pretty clear. Uh, so The Rescuers was released in 1977. Uh, this is another song that was uh, nominated uh, for an Oscar. It did not win. So The Rescuers is, is a song that is a movie that I uh, became aware of, you know, a little around the time that the sequel, The Rescuers Down Under, uh, came out. I saw it in theaters in 1990. I you know immediately forgot everything about it. But I wanted to watch uh, the one that came before. I was like, oh, there's another one. And I remember watching it a couple times and thinking, oh, this is. I think I like this. And then I just, you know, watch Robin Hood 10 more times and then I kind of <laughs> forgot about it. But then many years later, uh, just randomly, you know, like a couple years after I'd had my second kid, I just had this hankering to to watch The Rescuers. It's like, I think I remember really liking this. I want to go back and, and see if that memory is right. And I loved it. Oh, I love that movie so much. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a very dark film. Roughly, the, the, the setup for this song is that uh, there is an international organization of mice called the Rescue Aid Society. R-E-S-C-U-E. ch ch ch, -ch band Oh, no, wrong rescue team. So Miss Bianca and uh, Bernard, who is a janitor, are chosen to go help uh, try to solve the mystery of the disappearance of a young orphan named Penny, who has been kidnapped uh, so that she can help uh, you know, fish a diamond out. It's it's very very dark and very very twisted. And this song, Penny has uh, largely given up hope of being rescued. Um, and there's this really really beautiful scene of of you know her looking out on the boat where she's being uh stashed. 
as uh, as the mice are, are coming up on her, and and you know it's it's a, it's a dark night. We see uh, Bambi and his mom briefly in silhouette at one point, and it's it's really really pretty. And again, like it's in a certain sense, this is a very very sappy, almost going over the edge song, but it's so it hits me just right. I find it so sweet and I, I, it rips my heart out every time, especially when, as she's getting later, as she's, she's getting ready to, to go into bed and she has her teddy bear and she puts his, its paws together to say prayers. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I love this song. I love this scene so much. Why, why you got to pick the song that makes me cry, John? <laughs> yeah, John, you sap. When's your Dan Fogelberg episode going to happen? <laughs> Don't spoil it. <laughs> yeah, this was another one that I didn't see uh, at all when I was a kid. I watched it when my daughter was little. And I tell you what, sitting next to my toddler little girl, watching this poor, sad child crying and wishing for a family just kind of destroyed me. Yeah. And I watched it again yesterday. And it's I spent all day yesterday watching Disney movies in the name of research. It was awesome. And... There's another song at the very beginning when she's writing her message in the bottle uh, that goes, who will rescue me? It's just, it's so beautiful and haunting and sad, really sets the tone of the movie. But this one is also an absolute winner. It's all of the songs in the movie are so cheesy, 70s, fabulous, but they never tip over into being ridiculous and obnoxious. It's. They're all so well done and so emotional, and it, 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 the whole movie just hits all the right beats. Yeah, it's actually been a while since I've seen The Rescuers. I know I have, but uh, I, I actually had the sequel, The Rescuers Down Under, which John mentioned on VHS. And an, an interesting thing about that movie is that it's not a musical at all. Nope. Like they, yeah, they completely hmm. ditch the songs and turn it into like this sweeping, expensive uh, adventure movie. Like everything about it is just like way bigger than the first hmm. one. I've never seen Down Under. Well, so to illustrate the difference, I actually pulled a couple of clips from like a, a flight scene in each movie where they're riding on the back of, you know, each movie's respective albatross. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in The Rescuers, Shelby Flint's uh, other song, Tomorrow is Another Day, plays like during this like lovely gentle scene where Bernard the mouse is like nervously trying to plan their next move. And uh, Miss Bianca, the other mouse, like convinces him to like just relax and get some sleep. And, you know, mm-hmm. they fall asleep. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, listen to this. It says here, Devil's Bayou is uncharted and hazardous. Each day's operations... Mm, interesting. Must be... Uh, goodbye, dear. Planned with Karen. Tomorrow is another day. Good night, Bianca. Yeah, it's just like so gentle and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and meanwhile, here's the scene from The Rescuers Down Under where they first take off on their albatross Orville, who's voiced by John Candy. Oh, hey, Slippery! Ice! Ice! We got ice! We got ice! Whoa! Hang on now! Whoa! 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 Here we go! Here we go! Here we go! Here we go! Oh, <laughs> the Rescuers! To the extreme! <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's got that 90s surfer lingo in there, getting it the does. Ninja Turtles fans into the fold. 
Well, that's different. Yeah, definitely. It's such a different movie. I think it's really good, but like it's just you know, they completely switched gears for it. it. It's interesting. The first one feels like much yeah. more adult and like the the singer songwritery sort of soundtrack matches that. It's a much like gentler, uh, slower, sadder yeah. movie, whereas Down Under is like much more obviously for kids. I remember the commercials for Down Under when it came out, but I never actually saw it. Yeah, I watched that one a lot. And uh, and the DuckTales movie that came out around the same time, The Treasure of the Lost <laughs> Lamp. Those are two very similar movies in my mind. Okay, so my next choice is from Brother Bear 2. No, it's from The Great Mouse Detective, and it's called The World's Greatest Criminal Mind. <laughs> from the brain that brought you the big Ben caper, the head that made headlines in every newspaper, and wondrous things like the tower bridge job, that cunning display that made Londoners sob. Now comes the real tour de force, tricky and wicked, of course. My earlier crimes were fine for their times, but now that I'm at it again... An even grimmer plot has been simmering in my great criminal brain. Even meaner, you mean it. Worse than the widows and orphans you drowned. You're the best of the worst around. Oh, Radigan! Oh, Radigan! The best fall behind. Radigan! To Radigan! The world's greatest criminal I love a good Disney villain song. Yeah. So that said, I wouldn't call this a particularly great Disney villain song, like on the level of like, say, Poor Unfortunate Souls from The Little Mermaid, Gaston's song from Beauty and the Beast, and or uh, Be Prepared from The Lion King. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love The World's Greatest Criminal Mind because it's sung by one of the great Hollywood villain voices, Vincent Price, who plays Professor Radigan, who's the Moriarty to Basil of Baker Street's Sherlock Holmes. It, it's basically a sycophantic drinking song about how amazing he is. In fact, you might have heard like some of the, some of the Foley in that scene was one of his henchmen like falling into a fountain of champagne and getting drunk and then that henchman drinks too much and commits a major party foul what did you call me that was a big <laughs> no-no so Radigan is, from all outward appearances, a rat, but he thinks of himself as a mouse and violently lashes out at anyone who claims otherwise. So he tosses his drunken henchman into a big, foreboding, dark chamber and rings a bell, at which point a large cat shows up and eats him alive. So this is one of the few Disney movies I'm aware of where the villain drops a body. The Great Mouse Detective <laughs> has a body count. Like, how often does that happen? There's Mufasa and the Lion King. And, of course, there's Bambi's mom, if you count the hunters. But mm-hmm. it, it's rarely played for laughs like this. And that's how this yeah. movie traumatized me as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That, that is a dark movie. I've never seen this movie. Um, I don't really have a lot to say about the song. I'm there's very impressed with how how uh, forcefully he rolls his R's. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's my favorite part of it. Just, like, the way that he's... Uh, he's accentuating the camp aspects of this so hard just with those those rolled r's mm-hmm. um yeah other than that i don't have a lot to say about it i liked it um, yeah i would i would say that it's an okay movie like I, I watched it in the early 90s when it got like re-released in theaters after all the big disney movies came out that's when i saw it too yeah as far as i was aware it was a new disney movie but it was actually from the mid 80s or so 
Uh, but Amanda, what do you think of it? I I like it. the The movie was never one of my favorites um, because the bat was so scary, and I just never really. But I did have the book that it's based on, Basil of Baker Street, and I read it five hundred million times, so I know the story very very well. Uh, this is a fun song. Uh, it's I I also really enjoy how Vincent Price plays it up. And it's also just really fun to hear him in a song besides Thriller. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In that quote unquote rap, as people call it, which is really just a monologue. Yeah, it's just speaking. It's not a rap. It's it's really cool. And though you fight to stay alive, your body starts to shiver for no mortal Yeah, the, the Great Master Detective is pretty mediocre. I would say that, like, Vincent Price is, like, easily the best part of it. I, I think my favorite part of The Great Mouse Detective, like, as a as a movie, is this memo that, that was sent by, like, by a disgruntled yeah. Disney employee, an objection to the title The Great Mouse Detective, which was changed from Basil of Baker Street. He writes, along with the new title for Basil of Baker Street, it has been decided to rename the entire library of animated classics. The new titles are as follows, and I'll just name a few of them. Seven Little Men Help a Girl. The wooden boy who became real. Color and music. The little deer who grew up. Two dogs fall in love. <laughs> Robin Hood with animals. A fox and a hound are friends. Two mice save a girl. And there are a bunch of them, but it's some great snark from within the Disney Corporation. I like two mice save a girl. Yeah. <laughs> and then a few entries later is two mice save a boy. Actually, the funniest, the funniest one is that the Aristocats is still just called the Aristocats. They don't change that yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hilarious list. Yeah, it's great. So, Amanda, what's your third choice? My third choice is another big one. It's Once Upon a Dream from Sleeping Beauty. I know you. I walked with you once upon a dream. I know you. The gleam in your eyes is so familiar. mentioned earlier Sleeping Beauty is my other favorite Disney movie and a lot of that is because the art is so beautiful that movie is absolutely gorgeous to look at but we're here to talk about its big song Once Upon a Dream the music in the movie overall borrows heavily from Tchaikovsky's ballet The Sleeping Beauty and the melody for Once Upon a Dream is lifted straight from the Grand Waltz
that's why the song has such a beautiful melody, because it's Tchaikovsky, and he was very good at melodies. It diverges at the line, but if I know you, I know what you'll do, because it had to resolve differently. And that part has always sounded a little awkward to me. There's a very visible seam that connects the original melody to the to the new part. But I've always thought the song was really, really beautiful. And again, it's a good example of that wonderful choral sound that the early Disney movies have. You know, you have your soloist, but then the choir comes in and their choirs were always so good. And I haven't seen Sleeping Beauty in a while, but this is the only like actual like song set piece in the movie, right? Like the rest of it is kind of just like uh, little pieces of music that show up to texture it. Uh, there's a couple other songs like when the when the fairies are baking the cake. I think they sing a little song uh, okay. there. Um, and there's the at the beginning, the hail to the Princess Aurora. So, yes, there are other songs, but this is the big one. Yeah, I need to see it again. I, I, I watched it about 10 years ago and it was I mean, you know, it's completely and utterly gorgeous. That's mm-hmm. the main takeaway I have from it. But, John, what do you think of this one? You like classical oh, the song music, is, right? I mean, this, yeah, the song <laughs> is beautiful. Um, it's funny. I I remember very little about Sleeping Beauty, the movie. I know I watched it multiple times as a kid, but the only scene that stuck with me, but though it like stuck with me like extremely vividly, was when Flora and Meriwether have their color fight. Yes. And they accidentally oh, yeah, like great. tip off the raven as to where they are. Like I always just I remembered like the the dueling colors coming yeah. out of the chimney, like really vividly. And other than that, I just had this kind of this fog of terror just surrounding the rest of the movie. It's like, ah, scary. Um, The thing I remember the most vividly is the prince cutting through the thorns at the end. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that sounds about right. So yeah, I I feel like I have to rewatch this at some point. I almost mentioned one of their color fights back in our Renaissance episode. Cause if you remember at the very end of the movie, they're still fighting over the, whether the dress should be blue or pink. And they keep shooting colors out of their wands. Should it right. be blue or pink while Aurora and the prince are dancing? And that coda at the end of Let It Grow, that part is what mm, that coda reminds yes. me of, is Sleeping Beauty and the prince dancing while the That's fairies funny. change the color of her dress. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I'm kind of at a loss to describe Sleeping Beauty because it, it, I believe it's it, it's so beautiful that I think Disney literally spent the entire decade of the 50s working on it in various forms. And uh, in turn, I don't really even know how to describe Once Upon a Dream. You're, it's, you're asking me to describe Tchaikovsky. The, yeah. the whole movie just feels like one beautiful, unified piece of art. It's, mm-hmm. it's a stained glass window in motion. It's yeah. all just, you, you can't change anything about it. It's perfect. Yeah, I think it's widely considered Disney's most beautiful visual art. Not all of Tchaikovsky is perfect, but his ballets usually are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in lieu of having much commentary about this song, I'm, instead I'm going to play a couple of modern covers that ruin it. So oh, no. No. <laughs> the first one is by... Did Tom Waits do this? No, he did not. But the first one is by Lana Del Rey, who covered it for the movie Maleficent, which came out in 2014, I believe, with uh, oh, Angelina Jolie. I never saw that. Yeah, well, she does that sort of modern movie trailer thing where you take a classic song and make it really dark and brooding mm. and minor key. Ew. I know you, I walked with you once upon a dream. I know you that look in your eyes. But they're not even, this isn't even in a minor key though. They're just messing with the, the, yeah. the tempo. Like I almost feel like a minor key version would actually be like, yeah. It would be novel. It would be terrible. Yeah. But I'd actually kind of like to hear that. 
You're exposing my lack of mu- of music theory knowledge, John. Minor minor key just means dark to me. I know you. <laughs> yeah, like when Lord did everybody wants to rule the world, they at least put it in a minor key. It sucks too, mm-hmm. but you know, they made an effort. Wow, I hated that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to hate this one too. Okay. So I'm not going to tell you in advance who did this second cover. I know you. I walked with you once. Nazareth. It's not Nazareth. You would love it. Nazareth did it. I would. Is this Frank Sinatra? No, it's somebody imitating Frank Sinatra. No, Tony Bennett. Nope. It's not Eddie Murphy either. Eddie Murphy. No, (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) That was Seth MacFarlane. What? Sure. (laughs) I was close. Yeah, he released an album of like musical covers done in lounge style in 2020. So uh, Eddie Murphy, yeah, that wasn't that far off, Amanda. (laughs) Well, the last time you surprised us with a cover, it was Eddie Murphy. So (laughs) Okay, well, now that I've pissed all over that song, uh, John, what's your next choice? Oh, looking forward to this one. This is Feed the Birds from Mary Poppins. Steps of St. Paul's, the little old bird woman comes in her own special way to the people she calls. Come by my bags full of crumbs. Come feed the little bird, show them. first dating my wife, uh, who I've been married to since 2008, uh, one of the first things I remember learning about her um, in terms of musical taste was that she uh, was an absolute lover of Mary Poppins. It was uh, one of her absolute favorite movies from her childhood. And, you know, at that point, I hadn't seen Mary Poppins since I was a kid. I watched it a bunch when I was like, you know, nine and 10, and I just kind of forgot about it. I remembered all the most famous songs tucked near the beginning and tucked near the end. I remember that she stressed the point that probably her favorite song of the whole thing was Feed the Birds. I was like, what? <laughs> I, I don't remember that being a song. And so at some point we got around to sitting down and and watching the movie, and it was a punch in the gut. Yeah. Feed the Birds in you know is not the one of the most famous songs on the in that movie, but in a way it's kind of the song that comes closest to the point of the movie. 
it's uh, it's very, very integral uh, with the, the overall message of it. And one of the things that I really like about it uh, as I was looking up things about how it's used in the movie is – when when you get to the climactic scene, the the near climactic scene of of Mr. Banks uh, realizing that he's going to be fired as he's walking uh, to where he works, uh, you know we hear this music in the background, and this is significant to him. So the context of this song, when it, we primarily hear it, is it's it's part of a lullaby sequence, and the scene that that it it. Uh, zooms in on is of this of this woman who is just sitting down and she's being left alone and no no one no one really cares about her but the ones who care about her are birds and she's sitting and 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 giving them food uh the the woman uh in this scene is it's an actress named uh jane darwell who was one of walt disney's uh favorite art actresses from a long time ago and she she doesn't speak in this she was she was very old he had to pull her out of her retirement home for this mm-hmm. uh, but it's a very very touching scene and just kind of the idea of one of the things that that that's that's so integral to this movie is of you know teaching uh mr banks and and to an extent michael to value things other than money to to learn the importance of giving of yourself to something else and part of what ultimately transforms uh you know Mr. Banks is his realization at the end of you know there's there's more to life than just uh you know trying to get ahead of trying to 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 uh, to fight against a hard cold world and you know this this song for me like really really uh you know just kind of sits at the center of that whole message and uh, it's worth noting that this was one of Walt Disney's favorite songs that ever came out under his umbrella. And yeah, when I read he that. first heard it as they were working on it, he, like he immediately said, Oh, this is, this is the point of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like he, he instantly knew it even as the whole thing was in progress. Um, so yeah, this is my, again, this is my wife's favorite song in it. And at this point I would say it is, it's my favorite song in that movie as well. And I would also note that uh, my wife frequently uh, would use this as a lullaby uh, when seeing our children to sleep hmm. uh, when they were much younger. It does have a lullaby sort of quality to it, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just saw Jane Darwell in the movie version of The Grapes of Wrath, uh, which, she, which she won an Oscar for. She's outstanding in it. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, but as for Feed the Birds, I, I, I didn't remember this one at all. And I know that I saw Mary Poppins as a kid. And in, in addition to Walt Disney liking it, I actually found an article on the site 812 Film Reviews that called this like the best Disney song of all time of like any Disney song. And and the author, and the author's reasoning is that it, it doesn't fit into like the standard Disney template. Like it isn't loud or boisterous at all. Uh, it, its lyrics are very indirect, very like metaphorical. And there's just like almost no visual flair to the scene. Like Mary Poppins is just singing it to the Banks children and there are some dissolves to like uh, – uh, yeah, to Jane Darwell feeding the birds. And uh, like, I think that's why it didn't stick in my head is like as great as it is, it just doesn't fit into like the Disney narrative, like say like a spoonful of sugar or like chim chim cheree or super cala, et cetera. It, it's a, but it's outstanding. Like I, I, I mean, I, I can understand like why it doesn't stick in my head, but it's clearly like, you know, one of their major songs. Uh, it also kind of reminds me of Eleanor Rigby in a way. Yes. Oh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I looked it up to see if this song was an inspiration on that one, but um, maybe on a subconscious level for Paul McCartney, but I don't, uh, but he he never said it out loud if that was the case. 
So Amanda, what about you? This is also my favorite song in Mary Poppins. And that is a movie that's packed full of great songs. Yes. And also Fidelity Fiduciary Bank. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was one, I always thought this part was so boring when I was a kid. I didn't fully appreciate it until I was an adult. And this is another one that I watched a lot when my daughter was little. She went through a phase where she wanted to watch Mary Pumpkins like five days a week. And that that was okay. (laughs) And that was when I got to realize how amazing Feed the Birds is. And it's I really liked John's explanation of how important it is to the plot. And it, it takes up a pretty significant amount of movie real estate. And it is unbelievably beautiful. You know, the melody itself is enough to bring you to tears. And of course, it's sung by one of the most glorious voices in living memory. Uh, so it's... I mean, it's everything John said. It is an absolutely gorgeous song. I don't disagree with the person who said it's the greatest Disney song, period. It's certainly a contender. I recently, as in like two days ago, discovered, um, partly thanks to producer Mike, there's this absolutely bonkers album called Stay Awake that's a collection of completely bizarre Disney covers, and it has that Tom Waits hi-ho on it. And one of the other tracks is an incredible instrumental version of Feed the Birds performed by Garth Hudson of the band. You absolutely need to hear this because just just that melody on hit played on his organ is it's unbelievable. I just found out about it one or two days ago and I think I've listened to it 10 times. Those were two amazingly beautiful and poignant choices. So here's a Billy Joel song from another movie about a talking cat. This is Why Should I Worry from Oliver and Company. You want him?
So Oliver and Company is probably the single worst movie we are talking about in this episode. <laughs> it is horrible. Uh, Amanda, you just tried to watch it, right? And you, you got maybe like 15 minutes in. It was the one of the ones I watched yesterday. I thought, I've never seen Oliver and Company. I should watch it. And I got through the end of this song and bailed. Yeah, uh, good choice. But there was a Huey Lewis song before it. Yeah, the Huey Lewis song was actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so th- this is the last animated feature that Disney released before The Little Mermaid ushered in the uh, the Disney Renaissance. But when you're six years old, like I was, the whole concept of good movies versus bad movies is completely meaningless. And yeah. I had no idea what a huge jump in quality The Little Mermaid was over with what over what came before. All I know is that I listened to Why Should I Worry obsessively. It was on one of those sing along songs tapes, and I remember that like one of the linking bits in those tapes had like a, a bird like teaching his class of singing birds how to do that <laughs> which I know that I just did perfectly right there I am such a good singer that's pretty good yeah thank you so Oliver and Company is loosely based on Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens with the setting changed from London to New York Oliver changed from a human orphan to a stray cat and the artful Dodger changed to a streetwise sunglasses wearing dog named Dodger so Why Should I Worry is Dodger's song about himself, and he sings it while Oliver chases chases him through the streets of Manhattan like an obstacle chorus, which is what all of those noises you just heard were. He was like, you know, sliding down like cement mixers and, and you know, just generally wreaking havoc and stuff like that. So the song was written by Dan Hartman and Charlie Midnight. Great name. And performed by Billy Joel. And that's fine because Billy Joel was a huge bankable star at the time. But Disney also made the baffling decision to have Billy Joel voice the character throughout the movie. And I just don't know what to say about that, especially because as far as I'm aware, that decision came before having him do a song for the movie. They wanted Billy Joel to voice this character. That's really (laughs) weird. I I wonder if they were just trying to recapture the Roger Miller magic and just made a very weird choice. Well, so I haven't actually watched this movie in a while. The way you described it, it sounded like his his vocals were perfor- were recorded from inside like a tin can or over the phone or something the like that. Sound recording, just the the sound overall in that movie was really bad. Like to the point where I I was shocked that Disney actually released it like that. It sounded terrible. Yeah, again, pre-Disney Renaissance. Mm-hmm. So as for why should I worry the song itself? Well, I, I enjoy listening to it out of like superhuman levels of nostalgia. <laughs> but the first <laughs> thing I noticed about it today after decades of absorbing pop music is that this song is Billy Joel doing a Stevie Wonder impression. Oh. Yeah, it's that new Jack Swing groove, that synth fuzz bass, and especially like his melismatic vocals, the way he like tries to pack a bunch of notes into each syllable. It's wild. I didn't realize that as a kid, but listening to it like in the last Last couple of days, I'm like, he's trying to be Stevie Wonder on this yeah. song. Usually he tries to be Paul McCartney. And <laughs> I guess he like, you know, reached to the other side of the Ebony and Ivory duet this time around. <laughs> so the most lasting legacy of the song for me is that when I visit New York, I, I can't visit Central Park, Delancey Street, the Bowery or St. Mark's Place without getting the song stuck in my head, which is a curse I have to live with. You know what the song this reminds me of? It reminds me of the songs Party Man and Trust from the Batman soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Like it, it, it makes it, yeah, it makes me think of of Jack Nicholson, like you know, slapping oh. <laughs> paint on, on on an art gallery and and you know, throwing money and poison gas at, in a parade. Let's broaden our minds. Yeah, yeah, it's fine, but I, I'm never gonna seek it out again. I, I, it didn't. The the, the clip of the of the movie out of the song didn't fill me with great motivation ever go out of my way to watch this as far as i'm aware it's the best part of the movie i just played you the best part oh good 
Amanda, how about you? Wow. Okay. This sure is Billy Joel singing a song. And (laughs) if you need reference points, this came in between a matter of trust and we didn't start the fire. So he wasn't really at the very top of his game anyway. (laughs) And yeah, I didn't enjoy the song and I didn't enjoy the movie. I never saw it as a kid, so I don't have the nostalgia factor. I did enjoy the song at the very, very beginning, but that's because that one was composed by Howard Ashman and Barry Mann, who are very good songwriters and sung actually very tastefully by Huey Lewis. So I'm about to be shy. Get out there and go and try. Believe in that you're guy. They're dying to see. Cause the dream's no once upon a time, once upon a time in New York City. This one is just, it's trying way too hard and it's kind of an embarrassing mess. And we'll be talking more about the very talented Howard Ashman in just a few songs. Oh, one thing though that I did just find out about Oliver and Company that I thought was, that I thought was hilarious was how Disney used this basically as an act of war against Don Bluth. Because this, uh, Don Bluth was, he had been an animator at Disney and then he left and started making his own movies that are mostly amazing. The Secret of Nim is my favorite animated movie. Um, uh, An an American Tale, The Land Before Time, those are both him, right? Yes. And Oliver and Company came out in the theater at the same time as The Land Before Time. And that one actually did better at first in the box office, although Oliver and Company overtook it later. And then later on, when Don Bluth released All Dogs Go to Heaven, guess what Disney decided to re-release that same weekend? Oliver and Company. <laughs> <laughs> Just, oh, no. Because what a bunch of petty bastards. Like, how can we well, ruin I, Don Bluth's day? I'm pretty sure I saw Oliver and Company in theaters and not uh, and not All Dogs Go to Heaven, so they, they must have gotten to me. The all, I saw All Dogs Go to Heaven in theaters. I had it on tape. It's actually pretty good. It is. It's also scary. Yeah. 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 There's a whole, there's a whole like terrifying dream sequence where he goes to hell. Yeah. It's horrifying. It's very scary. <laughs> okay. So enough of whatever that was. So what is your fourth and final choice, Amanda? My fourth and final choice is coming out of left field. This is A Cowboy Needs a Horse. Riding, riding. Oh, a cowboy needs a horse, needs a horse, needs a horse, and he's gotta have a rope, have a rope, have a rope, and he oughta have a song, have a song, have a song, if he wants to keep riding. Now a cowboy needs a hat, needs a hat, needs a hat, and a pair of fancy boots, fancy boots, fancy boots, and a set of shiny spurs, shiny spurs, shiny spurs, if he wants to keep riding. Oh, the fence is long and the sun is hot, and the good Lord knows that a cowboy's gotta keep riding, riding along. This from that sing along songs tape. It was my favorite song on it. It it's from a short cartoon of the same name from 1956, in which a little boy dreams about being a cowboy. 
And it is handled with exactly the level of cultural sensitivity that we've come to expect <laughs> from Disney. Yeah. The, the entire last five minutes or so is... Uh, it, yeah, there's a whole... kind of questionable. ...fight scene in the middle that's... Wow. Okay. Um, that part actually wasn't in the sing-along songs tape. I watched the whole short uh, yesterday, and it's it's extremely charming if you... Again, if you ignore the horrific racism, <laughs> like, geez, Louise, Disney. But the song is adorable. It's this, like I said, this was one of my favorites on the Sing Along Songs tape. And once again, it's that Disney choir singing style that I am an absolute sucker for. And it's just an impossibly charming Roy Rogers style cowboy song that I just wanted more people to hear. So I thought I would put it on my podcast. Yeah, I had totally memory hold that one because I had that sing along songs tape too. And the, the version that's on YouTube, if you if you want to see that entire like horrifying racist part. Well, actually, no, the, 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 if you if you want to look up just the sing along songs version without yeah, that's that part, on there. it's uh, it's on there too. And you can see the like the little bouncing Mickey Mouse silhouette yeah. going over the lyrics. Follow the bouncing Mickey. That was how I learned the theme song from Zorro too. <laughs> so many songs I learned that way. Yep. But uh, John, what do you? What's your take on a cowboy needs a horse? I liked it. Does a cowboy need a horse? Probably yes. Uh, what it, What it made me think of is I, I feel like this is a song I could envision being on Woody's Roundup in the Toy Story universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I feel I, I and watching that whole sequence, it's like oh Woody doesn't exist without this song and without this sequence. That makes sense. There's a snake in my boots. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I I enjoyed it. Again, it's it's you know it, it's kind of a relic, but yeah, it's it's a very it, it's it's a very very enjoyable relic. Like there are are much worse and that there are much more overtly racist and, and offensive things in the in the in the old uh, catacombs of Disney. So you know mm -hmm. I enjoy this plenty. Yeah, in my household, the single most quoted Toy Story thing is the shark wearing Woody's hat and going, "I'm Woody, howdy, howdy, howdy." <laughs> That makes me laugh my ass off. It's very funny. The, the song is, yeah, it's adorable. And I'm, I'm glad you picked something from a Disney animated short, Amanda, because it it spots like what what like a smorgasbord of Disney songs are out there if you like don't restrict yourself to the big feature films. Like uh, mm -hmm. just going through sing-along songs. Uh, when I was a kid, I loved uh, the song The Merrily Song from The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, uh, which I believe oh. is the theme song to Mr. Toad's Wild Ride at Disneyland and I think Disney World. It's been gone from Disney World for a long time. They got rid of it. Well, that's another piece of children's entertainment where you go to hell, like yeah. literally. <laughs> I remember that Ichabod and Mr. Crane cartoon. I liked that one. Mm -hmm. Well, that song like had a bunch of like uh, British place names and like roads, road signs and stuff. And as a kid who loved maps, like I was really, really into that. Like, oh, they're going to so many places. Uh, and there was also this Ludwig von Drake song from Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, where he sang about how he had like the green with envy, red with anger, purple, passionate blues. And like as he sang each of those colors, the tint of the screen would change every time he said the name. Uh, oh, it was very cool. synesthetic. Yeah, I loved it. And, you know, there's the Disney Afternoon soundtrack with all those great theme songs. Just there's just so much wonderful Disney music out there, like mm -hmm. not not just the musicals. So uh, I, I'm really glad to get like an adorable little piece of that here. Yeah, I had a record when I was a little kid that was on the Disney label. It was called Songs from All Around the World, and I played it to pieces. And it's I thought about picking something from that, but it's so obscure. I thought, no, that's gone a little bit too far. But <laughs> It's it was it's wonderful. I mean, Disney's put out so much just absolutely lovely music. So, John, what is your last choice? 
So after going a little heavy uh, in the bittersweet melancholy, I thought it necessary to end on a bit of a baner. And this is Shiny from Moana. All right. Well, Tamatoa hasn't always been this glam. I was a drab little crab once. Now I know I can be happy as a clam. Because I'm beautiful, baby. Did your granny say, listen to your heart? Be who you are on the inside. I need three words to tear her argument apart. Your granny lied. I'd rather be shiny like a treasure from a sunken pirate wreck. Scrub the deck and make it look shiny. I will sparkle like a wealthy woman's neck. Just a sec, don't you know? Fish are dumb, dumb, dumb. They chase anything that glitters. Beginners. Oh, and here they come, come, come to the brightest thing that glitters. Mm, fish dinners. I just love free food. You look like seafood. So if you had small children between roughly 2017 and 2019, um, you heard this soundtrack a minimum of 50, 75 times. You couldn't even help it. Like, it was mandated by the law. So Moana came out near the end of 2016 and had a soundtrack uh, largely overseen by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And if you listen to this song, uh, a thought may pop into your mind at some point. Huh, that sounds somewhat like a David Bowie song. (laughs) I wonder why that might be. Could that be a coincidence? No. See, the soundtrack for this movie was in progress at roughly the point when David Bowie died in January of 2016. And in the time after uh, his his death, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda as as many of us did, got into a groove of just playing David Bowie songs over and over again. And he also had the idea uh, to bring in Jermaine Clement, best known for his work with Flight of the Concords. The reason he thought of him is that uh, Jermaine Clement had been part of a uh, David Bowie tribute show uh, back in 2004. And if again, if you haven't seen this movie, uh, the context in which this uh, song pops up, there is a big shiny crab that accumulates lots of stuff. And uh, you know, Moana and uh, Maui have, have have fallen into its clutches for various reasons. And he is very glam fabulous, and he mm-hmm. sounds and looks. Basically, as you would expect David Bowie to look like as a giant overgrown crab. Yep. I adore this song. Like, you know, the thing is, like, this is a soundtrack that I expected to get more tired of than I did. I never really got tired of it. Like, there's there, there are so many really strong hooks. And there's also just an incredible bridge. Just a bridge that always gets hit, stuck in my head. And we're going to hear it now. Far from the ones who abandoned you Chasing the love of these humans Who made you feel wanted You try to be tough But your armor 
Yeah, I am a big fan of this one. Like there are there are other songs that you know one could make a, an objective case for being better, but Shiny is is my favorite on this soundtrack now and forever. Yeah, I'm really, really glad you picked this one, John. Well, first off, I'm glad you picked a song from Moana and not a song from Frozen. Thank you for that. As far as new Disney goes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but I'm also glad you picked it because I love Jermaine Clement. And I, I think a lot of people on this podcast, like both the hosts and our listeners, would be really into Flight of the Concords in general because like uh, they, they do all sorts of hilarious, deadpan, hyper-specific pastiches of popular music. I think I've played a couple on the show already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you, you mentioned that Jermaine had done like a Bowie tribute show uh, before. And th- there's actually also a whole Flight of the Concords episode called Bowie where Brett McKenzie keeps being visited in his sleep by Jermaine playing like an apparition of David Bowie awesome. at various points in his career. <laughs> Brett. Jermaine, what are you doing? It's not Jermaine. It's 1972 David Bowie from the Ziggy Stardust tour. Wow. You look a lot like Jermaine. No, I'm David Bowie. And the episode features a full-on musical number called Bowies in Space, which is a duet between two Bowies played by the two members of Flight of the Concords. It's awesome. <laughs> I need to see that. Bowies in Space. What you doing now, That's pretty freaky, Bowie. Sounds like shiny. Isn't it cold out in space, <laughs> Bowie? Do you want to borrow my jumper, Bowie? Does the space cold <laughs> make your nipples go point? It is amazing. So, uh, uh, Amanda, once once you've contained your laughter, what do you think of this one? That was really good. Oh, I love shiny. Hiring Lin Manuel Miranda is the best decision Disney made in years. Yeah, they had they were coming off a long streak of good movies with deeply mediocre music. And the worst offender in that department is Frozen. I really like the movie, but the songs are just really mediocre pop songs, except for the one at the very beginning about the ice cutters. I like that one. But the the movies in that stretch were missing that little element that the little show tune element that made all the Disney songs so great in the nineties when Alan or uh, Alan Menken, Tim Rice, Howard Ashman, all those guys were writing the songs and the whole Moana soundtrack is just stupid. Good. Yep. There were three or four songs that were on my short list for this episode, but I decided I didn't want to have multiple songs from one movie except for Robin hood. So I switched. But I mean, my daughter owns the soundtrack and I didn't mind in the least when she was in her phrase in her phase where she listened to it twice a day. And this is for sure one of the best songs on it that I mean, it is a fantastic movie with a just mind blowingly amazing soundtrack. All right. Well, let's get to my final choice and the last song of the episode. So all of my choices so far have been either a mediocre song or from a mediocre movie or both. Uh, so let's listen to a great <laughs> song from a great movie. Yeah. This is Prince yeah. Ali from Aladdin. Yeah. Hey, clear the way in the old bazaar. Hey, you let us through. It's a bright new star. Oh, come be the first on your block to meet his eye. Make way. Here he comes. Ring bells. Bang the drum. 
Are you gonna love this guy? Prince Ali, fabulous he, Ali Ababwa. Genuflect, show some respect down on one I'm so glad you included the intro. It's so great. Now try your best to stay calm. Brush up your Sunday salon. Then come and meet his spectacular coterie. Prince Ali, mighty is he, Ali Ababwa. Strong as ten regular men, definitely. Galloping hordes! A hundred bad guys with swords! Who sent those goons to their lord? My Prince Ali! He's got 75 golden carols! Don't they look lovely, June? Fabulous, Harry. I love the feathers. When it comes to exotic type mammals, has he got a zoo? I'm telling you, it's a world class menagerie! Prince Ali! So good. So when the Disney Renaissance was in full swing, I was super into The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. But uh, Aladdin was the one where I really wore out the VHS. And Mm -hmm. that's partially because it was marketed to boys more than the other two. Uh, But it's also because it was so fast paced and filled with jokes. And it's just such a glorious spectacle of a movie. So Disney movies had songs before the Disney Renaissance, but this era was when they really started to take a cue from like expensive, lavish Broadway musicals with like these uh, show-stopping production numbers. And Prince Ali is the first song I picture when I think of this whole trend. Mm -hmm. So the song shows up in the movie after Aladdin has used the first of the genie's three wishes to turn himself into a wealthy prince, and he arrives in the city of Agrabah to request Princess Jasmine's hand in marriage. So there are two exceptional elements to the song that I want to note. The first, of course, is Robin Williams as the genie, which is one of those voice acting performances that is the stuff of legend. He he famously did the performance at scale pay instead of his normal $8 million fee on the condition that his name not go on the poster and that the genie not take up more than 25% of the space on all marketing materials. Mm -hmm. So Disney, of course, reneged on both promises, which was a dick move. Uh, But honestly, everyone would have figured it out anyway. Like I was, I was a kid, and I could tell that that was Robin Williams and Fern Gully as the bat. Oh yeah, and Robin Williams absolutely makes this song. So on both Prince Ali and his other uh, showcase, Friend Like Me, uh, Williams does a sort of Rex Harrison style Spreka song, except with the nimbleness of a truly skilled comic actor and impressionist switching between tones and voices after almost every single line. And this is one of those songs where I'm sad that the podcast medium is limited to audio because it's just such a breathless joy to watch the genie jump from character to character as he darts around the city playing hype man to the prince. The second is the songwriting by composer Alan Menken and lyricist Howard Ashman, who were basically the musical engine behind the entire Disney renaissance. So they first worked together on the 1986 Little Shop of Horrors movie, which is amazing and you should see it if you Mm -hmm. haven't. And they're the reason songs like Under the Sea and Kiss the Girls from The Little Mermaid and Belle and Be Our Guest from Beauty and the Beast just refuse to leave your head. So Mencken still works with Disney to this day, but Ashman tragically passed away from complications related to HIV slash AIDS in 1992. Mm -hmm. And he only contributed to three songs on the Aladdin soundtrack, including Arabian Nights, Friend Like Me, and this song. And you can really, really tell which songs are his. So Ashman packed his songs with like this intricate lightning speed wordplay. And in that regard, Prince Ali is absolutely his masterwork. Like, just listen to the conclusion of this song. Bakers, 
so for those who couldn't keep up, those lyrics were as follows. With 60 elephants, llamas galore, with his bears and lions, a brass band and more, with his 40 fakers, his cooks, his bakers, his birds that warble on key, make way for Prince Ali. That all goes by so fast. I remember sitting on the floor as a kid with a pencil and paper trying to transcribe what the hell was going on in this song, like back mm-hmm. in the era before lyric sites. And there was just so much going on that I couldn't keep up. It, it, it's also the only pop song I know of with the word genuflect in it, which is very <laughs> impressive. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a perfect marriage of performer and songwriter and of just just of art and commerce in general. Like, given the right chemistry, you really can just throw money at people with enormous amounts of talent and in some cases come up, come up with something truly great and lasting. You know, Aladdin came out when I was 12. And so I was just starting to get a little too old for 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 Disney movies to be something uh, that I, I felt I should be doing, uh, watching. So I watched, you know, I watched this in theaters. I had the tape. I watched it a handful of times and I enjoyed it, but you know, you get to it. I got to a certain age. It's like, Oh, I guess I had to convince myself not to enjoy this anymore. And I hadn't thought about this in again, like um, about 30 years. And then I, you know, in prepping for this, I came back and watched the clip. It's like, Oh, I remember every single note of this. I absolutely adore it. The elephant kicking in the door yes. like made me fall over laughing. Yes. Like this is just a freaking masterwork uh uni- unity of of sound and spectacle. Just A plus plus, ten out of ten, would watch and listen again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should. Amanda, what about you? Yeah, I was eleven when this came out and I had the soundtrack and I had the VHS tape and I wore them both out. I I can still sing this entire song from memory. This was always my favorite on the soundtrack. It's and that this is another soundtrack that's packed full of great songs. And this is still the mm-hmm. clear front runner. And again, visually, this is another of my favorite Disney sequences in all the animated movies. That part where Elephant Abu bursts through the palace door. It just delights me to my very soul every time I see it. <laughs> It's and the Disney equivalent of when the ele- the elephant uh, comes bursting into the power plant or into that into the peanut factory in that one <laughs> Simpsons episode. Oh, <laughs> Makes me laugh the same way. <laughs> this is the moment we feared, people. Many of you thought it would never happen, but I insisted we spend two hours every morning training for it. You all thought I was mad. Many of you requested to be transferred to another peanut factory. But now we... <laughs> And that vocal performance by Robin Williams, he was, as we all know, an incredibly agile and nimble actor. And it turns out he was also a great singer. Mm-hmm. Like he, those, those real long, the sustained high notes that he hits. That's, I mean, that's not something you can just get by on with smoke and mirrors. I mean, he had real singing talent to back all that up. Yeah, I compared him to Rex Harrison, but Rex Harrison was more of like a starting point because he definitely couldn't sing and the songs had to be like written to accommodate that. But Robin Williams like clearly has like, you know, pipes that he's throwing into this. Exactly. Yeah. And it was a good comparison. But yeah, Rex Harrison couldn't sing, which is why he sort of barks out all the songs in My Fair Lady. He was also an asshole. Um, But yeah, I mean, Robin Williams had it going on, you know, and even if you watch on the, on the uh, special edition Blu-ray that came out a while back, there are a bunch of outtakes from filming because he would just, 
I don't know how much of the final movie was Robin Williams improvising, but a good portion of it. And he would just go off on a tear. And some of the better ones, the Disney guys just made animated sketches to go along with them. And they're hysterical. I mean, if you can find those, I highly recommend watching them. Yeah, I wonder like how much of that made it into the songs in the movie. Because like, you know, when when you first meet the genie and he's doing like all sorts of like rapid fire impressions, like Ed Sullivan and just like, you know, a snooty Mater yeah. D and and whatnot. Like that's clearly like the animators, like just, you know, animating on top of bits that Robin Williams came up with on the spot. But I, yeah. I, I wonder like how many of his like asides in this song and stuff like that or like little bits of the lyrics that he just came up with on the spot, like how much I- of this was collaborative. I'm pretty sure I remember that the parade commentary was improvised. The, the mm-hmm. don't they look lovely June, you know? Yeah, it sounds <laughs> like it. Yeah. And it's, it's so good. It's so funny. And then when Robin Williams died, uh, Disney put out an image that was Aladdin hugging the genie and the caption was genie, you're free. Oh, and I'm about to cry just thinking about that. It was so sweet. Yeah, the song is a combination of like two incredibly talent- talented individuals who we lost way too soon. Yeah. Yeah, the the Prince Ali was a fantastic choice. I'm so glad you picked this one. It it makes me incredibly happy. Yeah, well, the, the, God, there were so many Disney songs we could have picked. I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I was thinking of like, I want to be like you from the Jungle Book or mm-hmm. the, you know, Pink Elephants on Parade from Dumbo or, yeah. you know, God, or you can, got no I got no strings from, from Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, there's just such a deep well of amazing Disney music out there. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that we got to talk about it today. Wow, yeah. this is one of our longer bonus episodes. We, we, we're really spoiling you guys on our feed today. <laughs> we're spoiling ourselves. We we're spoiling are. ourselves, right. This yeah, we do this for ourselves. This is extremely self-indulgent. <laughs> well, I guess that uh, I guess we should bring it to an end then. I, I definitely enjoyed like going down the nostalgic recesses of my brain today and yours. That was really fun. All right, everyone. So thank you for listening. Keep as cool as you can. And uh, as always, thank you for contributing to our Patreon. We'll, we'll have some more bonus material for you very, very soon. Yeah. So bye. Bye. When you wish upon a star Makes no difference who you are Anything your heart desires Will come to you If your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. When you wish upon a star, as dreamers do. My brain is tangled up. <laughs> Let me just straighten it out. There are no tangled songs in this episode. <laughs> it's because those tangled songs are dumb. <laughs>